Lord, now as I bring this sermon that you have given me, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will remove me out of the way and that your words will come directly to the people, Father, as you gave them to me, without any interference from me. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Take this time to open your, uh, get your Bible apps ready or to open your Bibles. And I uh, want you, speaking of mobile devices, I want you to take this opportunity to silence all your devices because we don't want your device to interfere with anything that the Lord has to say to somebody next to you. Well, summer is upon us. My calendar tells me that Friday was the first day of summer, although the weather, it doesn't seem like it, but hold on. We're in North Carolina, and August is on its way. As you see, maybe this is a blessing, and maybe not most of our kids are out of school, and they're around the house. And it's also time to start thinking about vacations. When our kids, when we were living in the Los Angeles area, and since we didn't have a lot of vacation money, our family vacations were usually taking a road trip to San Antonio, Texas, where both our families lived. And invariably, I would take my kids on this drive through the neighborhood in which I grew up. I would, uh, I would, uh, show the kids the poor neighborhood where I grew up. It was poor then, and as we drive through it, it remains poor. But to us, we never thought ourselves as poor. And as a young boy, summers were especially fun. I would give them this tour and take them to the old neighborhood, and I would show them uh, the elementary school that I went to, I would show them the playground and the boys club I attended, and I would show them grandma's house. And they all rode patiently year after year, and it brought us my face, maybe not to them, but to me, to see all the sights that were still there after all these years. And much to everyone's uh, delight, the, the culmination of the trip was to take them to this place called the Malt House. The Malt House was a place in San Antonio where all the West Side High School kids gathered. Kind of like Arnold's from Happy Days. I think I just lost some people, right? <laughs> what is Arnold's and what is Happy Days? Ask your grandpa, he'll tell you. Anyway, while we were, while we were uh, there, and later on, when my kids were sitting around the table and they were reminiscing about their vacations and they always said, oh yeah, remember, dad always used to take us down memory lane with him. And then it hit me. My kids had taken this ride with me every time that we visit San Antonio because I'm always drawn to the old neighborhood because of the fond memories that I had growing up. Grandma's house. That was my favorite house. Because no matter what, there were always a pot of warm frijoles, beans, some warm tortillas, a cool pitcher of lemonade, 
And there are always kind words and lots and lots of love and affirmation. Yes, that was my favorite house growing up. Similarly, we read in the gospel that when Jesus was in the area, he came to that certain house in the town of Bethany, and here he always stayed for a few days. Why? Because here he was welcomed. Here he was ministered to. And it was here in this house that, is, that he was anointed with oil. So we could say that this house in Bethany was his favorite house. So I am praying that we can create here at Bethel Christian Center such an atmosphere of repentance and such an atmosphere of worship so that this house, this church will become God's favorite house so that when God thinks of Bethel Christian Center, he will smile and want to stay here a while. You know, we have some outstanding leadership here at, at Bethel. We, as you saw, we have an awesome worship team. We have among you some very loving and caring people. You can feel the love when you come here. Our visitors can feel the love that you extend to them. And we have had some good services here. But you see, as for me, don't take this the bad way. I have attended enough good church services to last me a lifetime. Good just isn't good enough anymore. I want, yes, our good singing and I want our good preaching, but I want it to be accompanied by the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. What I am really saying is that I desire God to show up in his Shekinah, tangible glory, that the train of his glory, as is described in Isaiah 6, would fill this house. No place to sit, standing room only. Would you be interested in tasting something good when you know that the best is waiting in the kitchen? Compared to him, everything and everyone else is reduced to a warm-up act, filling the time until the real thing enters the room. But I am afraid that we have built a religion and a lifestyle around the appetizers while completely forgetting the main course. Now, I'm not saying that the presence of God is not here. He is, and he blesses me every service. But I am talking about the manifest presence of God being so strong here that as we drive into the parking lot, we are already feeling his presence, and we can't wait to get out of the car. We run to the sanctuary to rejoice with the rest of the saints gathered here and bask in his presence. That is the atmosphere that sparks revivals that go on for months. <clears throat> that is not to say we don't have spirit-filled services here. We have. And I have been at some services here where the people do not want it to end. And so they linger here after the service is over. And when we experience that little taste that little fleeting hint of God's glory, we react like the three apostles of Matthew of the Mount of Transfiguration. 
There the Bible tells us that three disciples sleepingly crept open their eyes just enough to see Moses and Elijah standing with Jesus in a cloud of glory. The disciples suddenly woke up and Peter interrupted the son of God to suggest that everyone stop and build a monument to that event. Peter used the term rabbi or teacher when he spoke to Jesus. And he suggested building three separate structures as if he possibly felt that Moses and Elijah were equal to Jesus. Perhaps he had no idea that the best was yet to come. Perhaps uh, he, he didn't know that he was about to witness some of the glorious things yet. You see, Moses, along with all the prophets that had prophesied, had anticipation with anticipation, waited for years and years to see what was about to now come to pass. And I doubt that Moses and Elijah were interested in any of Peter's monuments. They wanted nothing less than to see God's glory revealed. As Peter was talking, as he was uttering, as Peter always does, he was interrupted and corrected the disciples' earthbound perspective when the father said, This is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. Then everything and everyone faded from sight except the exalted Lord of all. You can read all about it in Luke 9, 28 through 35. Too often we do the same thing. We stop because our flesh gets excited. We, in, we want to interrupt God's revelation of himself so we can build a memorial in honor of the first hint of his appearing. We are so busy saying, it is good that we are here, that we don't hear God saying, I want to join you there too. Keep pressing in and I will come in my full glory. It is no longer acceptable merely to have good services or good music or good preaching. We must meet God himself. I, I am so worried of almost services. I want to join those that are after God. These that I call the brotherhood of the burning heart. Our hearts are burning with a desire for God's revelation. We pray like Moses, show us your glory, Lord. In Revelations 3.20, we find that Jesus is saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The Holy Spirit is shopping for a place of the next outbreak. He is standing at the front door of our churches looking for a place where worshipers are willing to prop open the door of heaven with their upraised hands so his glory can come down and stay among them. 
yet some are unwilling to worship. I see it. And that's in spite of Psalm 23, 22, 3 saying, but you are holy and you are enthroned in the praises of your people. You see, God is looking for a person, looking for a church, looking for a city that will hear his gentle knock and open the door for him. The scriptures continually picture the Lord knocking on doors in both the Old and the New Testament. We see him prophetically knocking on the door of his own house in the book that you rarely hear preached, the Song of Solomon. You hear him there knocking on the door of his own house, seeking the attention of his beloved, which symbolizes the church. Why would the door of his own house be locked? It is because he has given away the key. In Matthew 16, 18, he told the, Peter the apostle, I am giving you the keys and whatever you bound in, 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 on earth is bound in heaven and whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Lord gave us the key to his own uh, to his own appearance when he gave us the ability to open the windows of heaven and close the gates of hell. You see, the latch is not on the outside for him to open. It's on the inside for us to open. But man's traditions, man's religiosities have painted the windows shut. Have you ever tried to open a window that has been painted over? Not very successfully, I have. Picture our Lord Jesus as we go to Song of Solomon, chapter 5, in verse 2. Picture our Lord Jesus, the lover of our souls, as we read. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. You see, the lover of our souls has persistently knocked on the doors of his house. But we respond exactly like the Solomon's bride did in chapter, in verse 3. Oh, I have taken off my robe. How can I put it back on? I have watched my feet. How can I defile them? God's betrothed lover and bride has become too comfortable. She refuses to open the door because it is inconvenient. The cost of intimacy is, seems too high. The discomfort of it in all of us has bred apathy that urges us to move too slowly and too casually when our beloved knocks at the door of our heart. But then suddenly we realize, because the silence is deafening, that the knocking has stopped. 
So in a panic, we finally rouse ourselves like Solomon's lazy bride. And when we finally run to the door to unlock it, all that is left is that fleeting fragrance of where he used to be. Look in verse 5. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. This is the sad state of the overly contented church today. And then we may find ourselves barren, just as David his wife, Michael, became. As David danced, ride so hard that his clothes fell off, as he was dancing with joy and with glee at the ark of the Lord had finally returned, which represented the presence of the Lord. Read with me in 2 Samuel 6, where we see this scene where David was just blessed he just danced before the Lord and he returns home. <coughs> and it says in verse 20, Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And verse 21, so David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. And listen what happened. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. The disgust that she had for him locked the door of intimacy, of joy, and eventually of the fruitfulness of her womb. The church's reluctance to pay the seemingly high cost of intimate worship is the root cause of our barrenness. The bride of Christ, the church, has grown accustomed to living in the king's house while he's not here. They come to church, they listen to good songs and a good sermon, and off they go. If the church would only return to the passion and the hunger of her first love, so she would never be so content unless the king himself was here, present with her in the house. Instead, the modern-day church, when the ma master knocks, they stir just enough to moan. Oh, no, not now. I'm too sleepy. I'm too tired. I've had a long week. It's too early to get up on Sundays. I've worked hard. After all, I've already 
in bed. I've taken my shoes off. Do I have to open the door right now? I'm afraid that if we don't open the door, when our beloved knocks, when the dove of the Holy Spirit settles, when we don't open the door, if we fail to open the windows of heaven through our repentant worship, if we remain unwilling to create an opening for God's glory to enter our world, then at some point all we'll have is the fragrance of where we used to be. But I am no longer interested in past visitations. I have had enough. What about you? Reading about visitations through the pages of history cannot satisfy me any longer. I'm tired of reading about revival. I have to meet the reviver himself. This reminds me of, of my mother when my stepfather passed away. She had his jacket still on the hook where he last left it. She would hug it and she would smell the fragrance of what we call Grandpa Frank, who was gone. But in due time, that grieving passed, and now I'm happy to say that I believe she is rejoicing in heaven along with Grandpa Frank and, and my grandma and all the saints that went on before her. Spiritually, the church has done the same. Thinking of the bridegroom in terms of, oh, he's, I'm saved and he's going to come back and get me by and by. I'll just have to wait until then. I'm sorry. I don't want to cuddle up to the hollow memory of what once was. I want him I long to see Jesus in all his power, in all his vitality, in all his beauty, in all his glory. Show me your face, Lord. It is time for us to spring up from our ivory couches of complacency to enter the gentle knock at the door. Read with me in Luke 19 and listen to our Lord's heart. As his earthly ministry is drawing near the end, listen to his words as he looked out over Jerusalem, as it describes what it is like when he stops knocking. In verse 4, 41, I'm sorry. Now as I, he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you on every side and level, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus looked at Jerusalem and wept. I believe he wept with the intensity and with the grief of a spurned lover after being rejected by his beloved. And again, he said in Luke 13 and 34, how often I wanted to gather your children together 
as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. I am not saying that your salvation is in jeopardy. I am saying that we could easily miss the moment of our visitation by the Shekinah presence of God. We could miss the opportunity to give God that for which he longs the most, our intimate worship and communion. Frankly, all we need have the spirit, we all need to have the spirit of blind Bartimaeus. He was the blind man who ignored the disapproval of the crowd to cry out to Jesus for mercy. Bartimaeus couldn't see Jesus for himself. He was blind and had to believe in his mind, uh, in, in blind faith, that the testimony of someone else who told him, Jesus is close. We must confess, I am blind, I can't really tell how close he is, but if somebody around me says he is closer, that he is near, then I refuse to let him pass by me. Sometimes the cares of this world and the weirdness of life can temporary blind us or, or, or make us so numb in our senses that we can't perceive the nearness of God. But you see, that didn't stop Bartimaeus. So why should it stop us? Why can't we see, feel, and sense the presence of God? It is time to find someone who can sense the presence, who can sense it. When pastor stands up here and says, the presence of God is here, he's close, he's here. Take him at his word, go for it. Begin to lift your hands and cry out to him by faith. Sometimes all we need to know is that is here. Hungry cries from our heart will attract him even closer. After all, doesn't God's word tell us the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart? Oh, God will not despise. God will not turn away from brokenness. Tears turn on the faucet of God's compassion as it was in my life and some of you that have heard me speak before are probably tired of this testimony, but I am not. I rejoice. I remember when I stood in the doctor's office and my, the doctor told us that Josie had inoperable cancer. They were going to try and give her chemotherapy, but if it didn't work, she had nine months to live. That hit me like a gut shot. I was so broken. And, you know, I threw the biggest pity party that this world has ever known. But once I got over it, I went to my knees and I cried in brokenness and in contriteness. And it was not long after that that the doctor called me. You know, that cancer that they said was inoperable, I think I can operate it. And he did. Twelve years later, that's, there sits my beautiful bride, and I am so rejoiced over it. Hallelujah. On the other hand, what happens when you know he is close and do nothing about it? Bartimaeus was just a blind beggar on the side of the road outside of the city of Jericho, but he, he touched the heart of God with his hungry pleas. While the people in Jericho evidently missed their visitation. You see, Jesus, if you read the Bible, 
Jesus had already passed through Jericho. He was on his way out of town when he encountered blind Bartimaeus. He had already passed through the entire city and nobody cried out to him until he passed beyond the walls. This begs the question, well, when he comes, will he stay? The people of Jericho missed their moment. Unlike the village in John in chapter 4, where Jesus stayed a few more days. Jericho's, you see, Jericho's visitation never turned into the Lord's habitation. One blind man saw, saw more than the entire city and delayed the Son of God as he passes by long enough for a miracle. As Jesus passed through the gate, the blind beggar on the side of the road turned to someone standing nearby and asked the question, Is that him? Is that him? Just tell me, is that him? Yeah, yeah, Bartimaeus, said him. Then you better get out of my way because I'm about to lose my dignity. Hear me, friend. You can't preserve your dignity and seek his deity. You can't save your face and seek his face. And at the same point that you are going to have to lose your spiritual manners. You will have to leave your Pentecostal, your Baptist, or your Presbyterian protocol behind you. You need to forget what you are supposed to do, when you are supposed to do it, and how you are supposed to do it. You will have to reduce it down to the basics. Is that him? Is that him that's in the building? I want to be close to him. I think he is, and he's close. I don't know how you feel. But I refuse to let him get that close to me and let him pass by. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Would Jesus pass us by? Absolutely, Jesus would have passed by the disciples when they were rowing the boat across the Sea of Galilee in the darkness of night, but they cried out to him. He would have walked past the blind man but Bartimaeus called out and kept calling out until Jesus turned aside to see him. Jesus would have passed by that woman with the issue of blood. But she stretched out her hand and touched the hem of his garment by faith. In the end, Jesus walked through Jerusalem countless times over the course of his brief life on earth. But the religious people of the ancient city missed the moment and the hour of their visitation. One of the keys to turning visitation of the Spirit into a habitation of the Spirit is recognizing him. Has it been so long since you've seen him? Would you recognize him if he comes on a humble coat? rather than a grand stallion? Would you embrace his visitation in humility as much as in power? You know, I tell you, if there was a little baby in the church service who got hungry, do you think that baby would be impressed or bothered by the fact that church service is going on? Or that we have Dan Saldana up here on the podium speaking? Do you believe that little baby would stop to think, uh-oh, 
there's some preaching going on. I better keep it quiet. I tell you, if that baby gets hungry, things are going to get noisy in here. Do you think that baby would worry about who is watching, who is listening, or what all these dressed up adults are, are, are doing? No. The baby is going to put its hunger on display because that's all it, all it knows is this. If I don't get some nourishment or some help, I'm going to die. I remember, and I don't want to embarrass him, but when Andrew was eight years old, as I was preaching a revival service a few years ago when the presence of God seemed to draw near, I saw Andrew Fisher, an eight-year-old, weeping uncontrollably. I know I didn't say anything to scare him, and nothing I said would have appealed to his immature intellect. Yet even this young boy knew when he was approaching. He knew he had come close to the door, and so we saw tears trickling down his innocent face. I took a brief time to assure him because I did not want him to be fearful and his parents were great and guiding him. I just wanted him to understand that we're getting close to the gate. We're about to open the door to God to come in. And when you get close to that door, you can almost feel the winds of heaven just whipping through your hair. Church, it's time to say I refuse to get this close and back off. I'm not interested in false finish lines anymore. I can't live another day with just the fading scent of what God did yesterday. I may not make it, but I'm going for it. I may not get his attention, but it's not because I didn't try. I really wish all of us would just forget our dignity and remember his deity. Somebody needs to pray. God, I'm going for it. I want an encounter with you and I can't get over it. I want it. I want that encounter that I will not easily forget. If anybody ever opens windows heaven, everybody will be blessed by the fragrance of his presence. Every. Every Sunday, our worship leader invites us to come to worship around the altar. And only a couple do so. We are not desperate enough for his presence. Forgive me for saying that. This is mine. The preacher calls people to come to the altar and kneel in repentance every Sunday. And few heed the call. Bartimaeus didn't have to wait. He made his own altar from the dust of the wall, of the road. Nobody told the woman with the issue of blood, if you touch the garment of his, helm, of his garment. No, she created a promise in her desperation, and God honored it. You can build your own altar from the hunger in your heart right now. It is time for everyone who is hungry to cry out to God. I'm not going to let you get this close and pass me by, Lord. I am desperate for you. Have mercy on me. Would you believe it if I told you someone is knocking at the door of our church right now? 
He is literally knocking at the door of his own house because he has given us the key. I don't want to see the church miss her moment or her hour of visitation. If somebody would ever open the door to him, I would be left to talk sadly about what he smelled like the last moment. I said I wouldn't be left to talk about what his last moment because I would be experiencing right there. We will be walking with him and fellowshipping with him. Perhaps right now you see, you feel something gripping your heart that makes you want to shout, Lord, don't pass me by. Jesus, have mercy. Father, I pray right now for the spirit of Barabbas to grip your people. May we lay aside the garments of our own pride and identify that identify us with the blind and let us raise our voices in worship. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. We will lift our voices in repentance I have, and have mercy on us. We worship and repent and cry out, don't pass us by, Lord. As a worship team compared, I but ended a little early because I want us to end our service in worship. Why don't you forget your manners right now? It's time to lay aside your religious protocols, the things that dictate what is supposed to happen and when. God has always, always, always preferred spiritual hunger over spiritual ritual. Are you going to miss your moment? If you can feel him edging closer and closer, then don't let him pass you by. Remember that God is shopping for a place to break out. He is knocking at the door. I can almost hear him say, you know what happens when I visit a church. You have not yet seen what happens when I visit a city. Let it start here today. Open the door and let me in. So we're closing our our time in worship. Pastor always has you come up to pray. I want us to all come up and worship. As the worship team leads us, I want you to forget your spiritual manners. If you want to dance, dance. If you want to run, run. Nobody is going to tell you anything. Won't you come? No. Won't you run to the altars? The, the God of heaven and earth is waiting to touch you. It is your moment. If you have not accepted the Lord as your Savior, now is the time because I'm telling you, I feel his presence here today and he's going to touch every single one. Please, please do not stay in your seats. I am begging, do not stay in your seats. Come and let the Lord bless you. Hallelujah. The Lord is here. Don't miss him. 
We're going to go through that song one more time. If you need special prayer, there's, there's ministers here. Ministers walk among the congregation, and if the Lord leads you to pray for somebody, please do so. Hallelujah. Continue to worship. We've got a couple more minutes. God is here. He's ready to break out. I sense he's ready to break up. I, I don't feel a release yet, but I know if you must go, you must go. I pray that something I've said today has gone to the heart and that you will develop a burning heart for the things of Christ. If you need further prayer, there's prayer warriors here. If there's something in your body, a physical ailment, salvation, raise your hand and somebody will pray with you. Thank you for visiting us today, Father. I vow in my heart to continue, to continue to cry like blind Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy on me. I need you, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, as we go to our anointed places, as we go home, Father, to continue, let us remember your word that this is a day you have set aside as the Sabbath that we observe, that we may keep it holy. Bless the people as they go, protect them, Watch over them. Continue to anoint them and continue to draw them. Give them the burning desire, the passion that you have for them. Give it to them for you. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. Greet your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors. If there's someone here you don't know, please introduce yourself. God bless you.